This is the Academic Survival Podcast, and I'm your host, Dr. Chandra McDonald. Statistics show that approximately 40% of students drop out of college every year. In fact, nearly 30% drop out their first year. Well, I am on a mission to improve these stats. I do this activity with my students where we imagine that big thing that you want to be, regardless of titles, regardless of what people are telling you, you can and can't do, because I want students to know that to be your center. Because there's gonna be a lot in our STEM field, especially if you're black and brown, that's gonna external factors that are gonna push against you, that are gonna tell you you're not good enough, you're not smart enough, you don't have what it takes. All of that is BS, but I would not be Auntie Jess if I did not tell you as students that that is going to happen. But stand strong that you belong to be in STEM. And if you're wanting to do that, again, don't skimp on your math and find your mentors, find your village. Find your- Today on the Academic Survival Podcast, I have with me astrophysicist Jessica A. Harris. From mentee to mentor, Auntie Jess shares her personal journey in STEM as a black woman. She shares her experience working on the James Webb Space Telescope project, and she highlights the importance of representation in inspiring underrepresented communities to pursue careers in science. So be open to the twists and turns of your journey and tune in to learn more about the challenges and triumphs of pursuing a career in STEM. Hello and welcome to the Academic Survival Podcast. Today I have with me astrophysicist Jessica A. Harris. I am so excited to have her here. Jessica, welcome to the Academic Survival Podcast. Thank you so much for having me here. Thank you. Yay. So tell me where you went to school and what your major was. Yes. So I went to school at Grambling State University in Louisiana. And when I started my freshman year, I had declared my major to be secondary education with a concentration in math, meaning I wanted to be a high school math teacher. So ever since I was a little girl, if you asked me what I wanted to be, didn't matter how old I was, I would always tell you that I wanted to be a teacher. So when I went off to college, I declared that I wanted to be a high school teacher teaching math. So you get to Grambling State, you wanted to be a math teacher, and that changed along the way. So what what happened there? Yes, absolutely. So I had, I ran into an amazing mentor who last week, it was 17 years since his passing, but he was teaching a physics class for non-STEM majors. And so if you were taking classes, there were different like physics classes you you can take one for non uh, science majors and then one for if you're on the stem track and he really wanted me to switch over into physics and i was not thinking about it at all was never even on my mind to be a physics major but he was in a program that had funding which was really appealing to me because i was first generation student and didn't have scholarships i had some scholarships going in um but the fact that he was saying that i would have scholarships for books and different things I was really interested in. So he really invested in me my freshman year, all throughout my freshman year. I know I met him during one class. I think we, I just stayed in contact with him and he ended up giving me my first, introducing me to my first internship with a colleague of his at Duke University. And it was at Duke that I decided to switch my major over into physics. 
So you were essentially on what we would call a STEM track because you wanted to be a math teacher. So um, and so switching over to physics, how long of a, of a process was that for you to make that decision? So um, I just wanted to say that the way that Grambling had it, even though I was wanting to teach math, it was still more in the education school. So it wasn't a STEM track at that time. Oh, okay. It was still just an education track. So it was it wasn't even on a math track. And so if you had to statistically, which is true, if you look at the number of people who were declaring their majors going into undergrad being in science, like I wouldn't have been a part of that number because I declared it to be in education, uh. not in science, even I went to teach science. So I would say the switch happened within one year. So one full, so I had fall, spring, and then the summertime is when I made my decision to switch over into physics. But even when I did switch it into physics, I still was thinking that I still wanted to be a teacher. Um, but all the advice that I had received that summer from people that were in the field, where if you really, really want to teach a STEM major, become the expert in the science, and then you can always go back to learn the educational pieces, pieces of how to teach it, but really understanding the concepts were really hard. And so that, that propelled me into my path of becoming a physicist. What are you doing now with this background? Yeah, that's a great question. So it's hard to... It's really hard to answer that without telling the story, but- Well, tell the story. Wanna... That's what we're okay. here for, yeah. I tell the story or do I have to just tell you what I'm doing? No, tell, you t tell the story. Okay. <laughs> so the story is, um, I wanna give homage to my mentor who poured into me is Dr. Tang Zhu. And he, I only knew him. I was just thinking about this recently because I did my Auntie Jess Corner. I was talking about him and I'm looking up at him right now. There's a picture of him I have in my house. And I think about how he invested so much in me in the two years that I knew him that I'm still talking to about him 17 years later. Wow. I decided to major in physics. I graduated. I was the only person that graduated that year from Grambling State University in physics. And during my time at Grambling, I had several internships. And my last internship was at Vanderbilt University. And it was in astronomy. And I always had a knack for astronomy, just curiosity for it. I think most of us do, even if we don't want to major in it, because we see the night sky and it's amazing. And just recently, Venus and Jupiter were in the night sky. And so people were messaging me like, what is that? What's going what? on? Yes, you can see the planets, which is really amazing. And when I was a little girl, my grandfather used to always take us camping in Oregon. And when you go camping and there's not a lot of light pollution, you can really see the night sky night sky yeah my grandfather was the first person that taught me like the constellations and just all the different kind of constellations and so when i had an opportunity to go to vanderbilt to major in astronomy i was like okay because you're thinking about next steps i was on track to go into a phd program which which is really amazing i, I want to give advice to those that are listening for students that if you're in stem in some way or fashion, you should not be paying for your degrees. And mm. so when I went over into physics, there was a program that I got to be a part of that paid for my rest of my undergrad. And also was interesting, that's why I went to Fisk University, a part of the Fisk Vanderbilt Bridge Master's to PhD program. I learned about it when I was at an internship at Vanderbilt that summer. And so when I graduated from Grambling State University, I left Louisiana to go to Tennessee and I got my master's in at 
I got my master's at Fisk University, but my intern, my sorry, not internship, the research that I did was with a professor at Vanderbilt. So I'll pause mm-hmm. if you have any things you want to ask as I continue the story. Well, I don't want it to disrupt your flow, but you said that if you are a STEM major, you should not be paying for your degree. Yes, yes. There is not, statistically, there's just not a lot of black or brown or indigenous people that are getting their degrees. And a lot of programs are investing in making sure specifically that black students, if you're wanting it, and then this is very niche, going into physics, they're wanting to pay for you to get that degree. And wow. so look for programs that will support undergrads. If you're black, you're brown and indigenous, please look for opportunities or universities that will pay for you. So I have two degrees that I did not pay for because there were programs that were wanting to increase the number of black students getting their degrees in physics and astronomy. And so I didn't pay for a degree. I didn't pay for both my degrees. So there are scholarships out here. That is fantastic. Yes. Yeah. So I always want to hear that because I know it can be a struggle. Um, and my, in undergrad, I always joke around that my parents made just enough, but not enough to pay for me independently to go to college. And so scholarships really became a, a big part of my journey. And had I not been a part of the programs I was a part of, I don't know if I would have continued financially wow. to pay for it. So no, that's a, that's really, a really good tip. Thank you. Yeah. Wanted to share that. Uh, I always forget because I'm in this all the time and I'm around people all the time. I often forget that people don't know that you should make sure that your programs are paying for you to be a part of their programs. Wow. So my job in school was to be in school and to study. So um, just wanted to share that and happy if there's others that want to connect. I know my information will be shared. Happy to share with you programs that I know of that you could be a part of. So, so yeah, I went to Fisk University, like I said, in Nashville. It's a part of the Fisk Vanderbilt uh, Master's to PhD program. This is master's. I always tell people that master programs are great if you're not sure or you need a little bit more You're not sure if you want to go into a PhD program or you're not quite ready to go Mm -hmm. into a PhD program. Master's programs are still a really great way to build up your skills, your expertise, gain a little bit of more chops underneath your belt, and then bridge on. And so the nature of that program was for students who are underrepresented, traditionally excluded within our field. And there was like cohorts of us that they brought together. And then you take classes at Fisk University, and you're also able to take classes at Vanderbilt University. So I did took classes at both, and that's where I actually met my thesis advisor, who I got to work with, and we got to actually travel to Chile and South America and observe my favorite. Um, I don't actually, I never have Orion in my, in my background, but the Orion Nebula, which the Orion constellation is up now, which you can see it in the winter time, but it's up and we got to travel to see that. So I wanted to say, I didn't say this before, but again, a part of the programs that I joined and that I had funding for, they all had the main goal of increasing the number of students who are underrepresented in STEM Mm -hmm. to go to PhD. So this is going to be a big part of my story. So all the programs that I were in were to get me to PhD, get me to PhD, even this master's to be master's to PhD program. Again, it's a master's to PhD program get you to PhD. And so in our STEM field, specifically in physics and in astronomy, like that is the marker that they always tell you to go to. Okay. And so remember I had competing goals within my mind and my being is I always knew I wanted to be an educator. Like that never wavered in what I was doing. And so when I went to my master's program, 
there were things that I saw that I just didn't like as much, like the grind of having to make your whole livelihood based on writing and applying for grants or different things. I'm like, I don't want to do this. And just to research the the, exp- the amount of hours that they expected you to work in a week, 50 to 60 plus hours is something that I, I did not look forward to. And then the science, like when you get to be your, your master's and then you go from master's to PhD, you become really, really niched down into something very, very specific that only a few people in the world know. Okay. And I just didn't want to do that. So I made a decision not to continue on my PhD path, but I'll pause because there was a lot I just said there. How are you with that decision? I'm, I'm happy with my decision. Share with students that it's important to really know what you want to do. Had I not known what I want to do, I wouldn't be where I am within my career. It was unconventional what I did that I decided very consciously that I did not want to get a PhD. I do not regret that decision. I will never turn back from that decision. It was very thoughtful, but it was also at a time, as much as I'm content in that decision now, it took me years to be at peace and not Mm -hmm. because I wasn't happy with my decision, but the system made me feel bad. Like when I graduated, I was one of the few that did not make this bridge into PhD. And so I felt like I had failed the program. I had felt I had failed every other program that had invested in me to be a PhD student mm-hmm. because I decided that's not what I wanted to do. So just the, the shame I felt maybe, the feeling like I had disappointed other people. It took a long time to realize I hadn't disappointed people and that that's okay with the path that I, I chose. But it wasn't popular at the time to go into outreach like I did and, and build the career um, that I, d- I have for the last decade of my time. So though I'm I'm content with it now and was content with it then, there were a lot of external factors that made me feel that that maybe wasn't the best decision at the time. And that took years to really process and get over. Wow. Yeah, that's really good. You know, sometimes it does take a while to be content with the decision that you made, even though you can have a lot of peace about the decision other factors can start to weigh in. Um, well, I'm glad that you found the path that, uh, that lights you up. So you're officially in what's called outreach? So that was what my career has been for the last decade. Currently, I'm an independent entrepreneur in the moment, but I'm using within my business my expertise of being in education and public outreach and diversity, equity, and inclusion, and then my Auntie Jess mentoring. So awesome. when I the, the kind of to wrap up a little bit of my STEM journey was that when I le- made that decision to leave Fisk University and to launch out to my career, there wasn't a path. Like I had an internship and there was nothing after I graduated, there was an internship and then there was nothing planned after that other than I really wanted to be into outreach. And I was very fortunate that I ended up going to one of the blessed places that does education and public outreach in STEM at Space Telescope Science Institute, went there for an internship, was fortunate enough to get called back um, on a project that I did on soft money for about nine months. I had applied for a job at Space Telescope, actually didn't get the job, but was fort- what was great about not getting that job, which sounds really strange, was that I did so well in interviewing that they wanted me to, they didn't want me to leave and they created a position for me. So that oh, launched wow. me into my outreach, my education and public outreach journey for, like I said, over the last decade. So I was at Space Telescope for seven years and I always have James Webb image, the image you always talk about in my background, because I literally spent seven years of my career 
talking about James Webb Space Telescope going to launch. It's this amazing telescope that did finally launch in 2021. Um, so it's really exciting, but I don't want to geek out about James Webb because I could spend the whole rest no, of the time talking Feel free to geek out. <laughs> I want to have this science conversation, you know, because there's students that are out there that could be connecting with it saying, yes, tell me more, yeah. tell me more. Yeah. So yeah, feel free to geek out. <laughs> yeah. So um, it's exciting. One thing I want to say is that I know I said it earlier, but I really want, if no one else gets anything from what I'm saying is truly follow your passions, F truly follow your desires and be open to where the journey takes you. Like I, I never had written in any of my books that I wanted to be an entrepreneur. It just was never on my mind. It wasn't something I thought about, but that is the way my journey has landed to be. But if I was too, too set on my path, then I wouldn't have allowed the different twists and turns that I ended up on. So like I said, I went to Space Telescope and spent seven years talking about James Webb. And I still light up about it because I got to be on the ground talking about James Webb Space Telescope before James Webb Space Telescope became a thing or became in national news or before people really got to know about it. Like I was on the ground mm. going maybe two, three times a week, grabbing, taking my infrared, tele it wasn't my infrared telescope, but the department's infrared telescope and, and packing up all my gear and, and taking it to classrooms for years, for years. Imagine like I, I, I tried to do the math, but like hundreds and hundreds of top that I gave. And what's exciting about James Webster telescope is that it's seeing in a different wavelength of white than Hubble season. So Hubble, I always like to compare Hubble to James Webb because a lot of people do know about Hubble was launched uh -huh. in 1990. And it, it also sees in infrared, um, but not the whole spectrum. It's primarily sees invisible wavelengths of light. And we've learned so much about Hubble and just the science. But what's really exciting about James Webb being launched one, again, the journey, like when I first started talking about James Webb, it was like, oh, it's going to launch in 2018. Then it's going to launch in 2020. Then it's going to launch in 2021. So when it finally launched, like it launched on Christmas Day mm. and I was like teared up trying to be quiet because it's Christmas Day. It's really early in the morning. It launched from French Guiana. So it's a whole different time zone. But it, I don't remember what time it was here. It was, I remember being really early here and I just like tears down my eyes when they're like doing the countdown and this thing that I've been talking about, but not just talking about. I know people and scientists that have made this their whole career. Like mm -hmm. there was a scientist at Space Telescope that our offices were close together and he was on the European side and he literally moved his family. I forget what country he was from, but you literally moved from Europe to the United States to follow the mission of James Webb. So there's scientists who've dedicated their whole wow. scientific pathways about James Webb. And so there's just a lot of energy um, around James Webb. I remember James Webb has 18 mirrors. And when the mirrors were being installed at Goddard Flight Center in Maryland, they had a live feed watching them being installed. And I remember like the first day they were installing the first few mirrors. And I just was like, why is no one else like putting this on the intercoms and like talking about it? It was like just so exciting, like watching that happen in real life. And so again, even though I wasn't part of the science I know in myself, I'll never get a, an award or a credit, but I know that I contributed in some small way. Yeah. At least outreach in outreach in um, Maryland related to James Webb. And I feel like that is, you know, I don't do this for any credit, but like, I feel good in that. I know that I've been able to go and talk to schools. And so James Webb, uh, the amazing science with James Webb, because it sees an infrared is that it's going to allow us to see further back in time than we've ever been able to see. So hmm. if you'd imagine, 
we can see the universe now, um, maybe, maybe at newborn, uh, or maybe not even at newborn or teenager we're in with James Webb, we'll be able to see it at like newborn or being birthed, like the whole, like not the whole universe, but like galaxies being formed and different objects within the universe. And so that is like really, really exciting with James Webb. Okay. So you have to excuse my ignorance. Okay. (laughs) So the telescope allows you to see back in time. Yes. What exactly are we seeing? So it's a lot of things. I'll, I'll stay in the vein of like galaxies forming for, for instance. So light takes a long time to travel to us if that concept makes sense and so even light that we're seeing if you see something that's let's say five light years away that means it's taken five years for that light to reach to us but there are things in our galaxy that are that are like million light years away or a thousand light years away and so just imagine being able to see as early in the universe in our time as possible. I don't know why I chose this because this is the thing that <laughs> is really complicated. But just imagine, I always think of it as being able to see us, like if we were able to physically see ourselves from baby to now, right? Uh-huh. If you were able to look further back in time, you'd be able to see me. But we don't have it like that, right? We just have pictures. I have pictures around my house when I was a little girl. But we don't have that same thing, obviously, in the universe. But with light, so the thing in astronomy is that we use light for us as information. And so we know that there's a certain basically distance we're able to see back in time. Uh-huh. And in infrared, it allows us to see even further. So like invisible light, we can only see so far, right? Like you can see behind me, but you can't see behind like this wall. Yeah. Um, it not allow you to see behind the wall, but let's just say for instance, uh-huh. you know, infrared was strong enough infrared would be able to see if there's something heat or or um something cold behind that wall and so with infrared it's seeing just further back in time and so just imagine we'll be able to see our universe or or a galaxy for instance when it was a baby so let's Mm -hmm. say right now we can see it when it's an adult but with infrared light we'll be able to see it when it's a baby or when it's forming wow so galaxy so as one example of something that james webb can be able to see Okay, so a student who is interested in, um, in in taking this route and like becoming an astrophysicist, what route would you recommend for someone who kind of knows coming in like this is what they want to do? Yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> I I kind of want to answer a I want to answer that question and answer another question. So the reason why I hesitate to answer that question is because I know that there are not a lot of us or black and brown students that are even aware of Mm. astronomy. And so I would say first, like get interested in it, like go to science museums, go and listen to talks. There's a lot of like free things online. And part of why I wanted to get into outreach is to bridge that gap. Mm. It's amazing how many times I've gone into a classroom and students weren't even aware anything about Hubble, anything about James Webb. Well, I wouldn't expect them to know about James Webb, but just not concept about the universe at all. And so I would say like, I guess the reason why it was hard to answer that question initially is that I want more students to be in STEM. I want more students to be excited about STEM, but part of that comes from just being exposed to it. So that's part of it. If you, if you know for sure that you're wanting to go into physics, unlike I did, I had no idea that I wanted to go into this, that one, what made that transition easy. And I'm going to say easy air quotes, because you can't see me visually was that I had a really, really strong math background. So again, if you're wanting to go into the STEM field, 
do not skimp on your physics classes. Do not skimp on your um, calculus classes, your AP classes. Like that is what made that a lot smoother. It still was really hard, but I know I wouldn't have been as successful if I did not have a strong math background. And so that benefited me, me being able to overcome in high school that I was not good at math initially. Like I say the story all the time. Like I got into wanting to be a math teacher because I saw the way that it was taught. And I saw that yeah, I had really amazing teachers. And I also saw different experiences from my classmates. Some had really amazing teachers that were really challenging. Mm-hmm. And then there were some students, my friends, who said, I'm taking another teacher, X teacher, because they're a lot easier and I could just pass by. But I didn't want that easy route. I wanted the hard teachers to, because I wanted to really understand the math. And so being being in STEM, the fundamentals, regardless if you're wanting to be in physics, regardless if you're wanting to do chemistry, biology, chemistry, like my math strength hit and, and it really allowed me to navigate. Because again, when you're taking physics, become a physicist, Yes, you eventually take a lot of physics classes, but you have to start with your chemistry. You have to start with your physics. Um, oh, of course, physics. You start with your bio, right. biology. You have to start with the other sciences and having that really strong math background. So um, I know that wasn't a direct answer to your question, but if you're wanting to go into this, be. I do this activity with my students where we imagine that big thing that you want to be regardless of titles, regardless of what people are telling you, you can and can't do Mm -hmm. because I want students to know that to be your center. Cause there's gonna be a lot in our STEM field, especially if you're black and brown, that's gonna external factors that are gonna push against you, that are gonna tell you you're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You don't have what it takes. All of that is BS, but I would not be Auntie Jess if I did not tell you as students that that is going to happen, but stand strong that you belong to be in STEM. And if you're wanting to do that, again, don't skimp on your math and find your mentors, find your village, find your people. Some of them may be in STEM, like my mentor who he was in STEM, he was dedicated, he believed in me. Part of why I switched over because he had this, he was an amazing scientist in and of himself, but he just believed in me and Mm. his faith in me made me believe in something that I didn't see in myself. And so find people in the field that can support you and find your village outside of you that can support you because there are going to be challenges. But if you're wanting to do this, I say this to my students all the time, do it. I wanna support you 110%. There's gonna be some journeys, there's gonna be some hurdles, but find you some people, find your village that you can turn on when things get hard, that you can rely on them. I, I don't know if that answered your question directly, no, but. That's that's good. You know, as you were speaking, I was rem- rem- remembering a book by um, Malcolm Gladwell, and I think it's his Outliers book. From reading his book, I recognized where my hangup in math was. And he talked, one of the things he talked about was we, we determine someone's ability to do math based upon speed initially. And so when I was in elementary school, I struggled with math and it, and I remember in fifth grade, um, we had this timed test. So every, every morning we would have a timed test and I don't remember how long it the time was, it was probably like a three minute test and anything that you didn't complete was marked as wrong. And so for me, uh, some of my, my struggle and my poor math scores was that I didn't finish and because I didn't finish, it was marked wrong. And so obviously that counted against me. And it wasn't until probably until I, I, I was in high school and I was taking geometry 
and I loved it. Like that's when I, and so to this day, my favorite, my favorite class in high school was geometry, but it took me so long to get there because, you know, once you perform poorly in math, it holds you back. So yes. not doing well in math in elementary school meant that I was not put in algebra in junior high school. And then, and so it just yeah. delayed everything. And so I was not, I was a high school and see, I was a senior in high school before I got geometry. Wow. And so getting into college, I got into college with an exception because I didn't meet the math requirement. So mm. astrophysics, phys like none of this was would ever have been an option for me because I was so off track at the very beginning. So the mm. fact that that you're a mentor and like you're saying like get the math find a mentor like you really yeah. have to like develop this this the skill of this knowledge like that is something that um for me i, I just i never had anybody to turn to never had a mentor yeah. never had um, a teacher that said i believe in you you can do it in fact i had quite the opposite so yeah. like i just had to just figure figure things out on my own which basically meant Science and math it just wasn't going to be it for me because there was there was no one there's no help coming. Yeah. So I'm I'm really I just want to like celebrate you or thank you for the work that you're doing like being able to be Auntie Jess and being able to have like a like a mentoring program. So can you tell us a little bit about the program and the work that you do in in that regard? Yeah, you're going to be a little emotional talking about the math. Yes, I, of course I want to talk about that. I just want to echo something back that you're saying. You're not that it ever went away, but I don't think about it as often in the work that I do because I mainly work with undergraduate students, but I will still always have a passion to work with kindergarten to 12th grade students because again, why I wanted to be a math teacher was all the things that you just described. So I'm a military brat. I grew up in the, I grew up in around it. My dad got in two days before I was born. So literally that's all I knew. And I say that to say when you're in the military, you travel a lot. And so you see the difference. So I went to, I was a little different than your story that when I went to my freshman year in high school, they put me in geometry. And I still don't know to this day, like why they put me in geometry, but you see, even though we didn't move around as much, you see that different people come into your classrooms and they have different levels, mm -hmm. right? Even though we're all ninth grade, we all had different levels of our understanding and that just like fundamentally bothered me. So that's also why I'm in education. I can talk a whole nother time about like our, our educational system and why there's a lot of flaws, but a lot of it is what you just spoke to that. If you don't have that, like, I just have to say this and I'll get on to why auntie just mentoring, like math is fundamental, regardless if you're going to go into it because you want to be in a science major, like it is so fundamental. I use math all the time in my everyday life. And it's not just because I'm a physicist, but I pushed, like I, I was stubborn. That was one thing about my stubbornness that worked for me. My obstinance that worked for me was like, I just really wanted to know it, but I did have amazing mentors. An amazing chemistry, uh, not chemistry, but our geometry teacher who like I was coming before class, like I was coming early before school started to meet with her. I was meeting with her at lunchtime sometimes and after school because I really wanted to understand what she was teaching me. But anyways, I can talk a, a whole other thing about math. I just want to echo like that's a lot of unfortunately your story is a lot of people's story. And this is why I do what I do is because STEM is accessible to everyone. Like I'm telling people all the time, like you may see me and you may think it's unattainable. It's not. I put in the work. I was a student that wanted to know the knowledge. This is the difference. I was stubborn, but not stubborn 
um, with no purpose. Mm -hmm. It was stubborn with a purpose. It was saying, I really wanted to understand these math concepts. And I don't care if I got a C in the class, if I understood the concepts, because math is building. When you learn one skill, it builds to the next skill. So anyways, that's my soapbox on that. But so what I do in Auntie Jess mentoring, I mentioned to you guys earlier that there are factors, there are external factors that are going to be pushing against you. There's systematic racism. There's just the the field of physics and astronomy is just hostile towards black people because they're not used to black people being there. It's very white male dominated. Um, there's a lot I can say in that. Statistics has proved that. There's only so many PhD astronomers that have actually graduated mm -hmm. with a, a PhD in astronomy over the 2000 people that actually have astronomy degrees. And that just tells you a lot. So the reason why I do Auntie Jess mentoring and, and why I've poured into this is because I got tired of the system systeming at me. I got tired of the oppression. I got tired of all the things and the reasons of how people told me I wasn't talented. I wasn't good enough. I had to work twice as hard. Twice, I had to be twice as smart, right? I know what I'm saying, regardless of the field you're in, probably you can relate to. And I, I've learned that those external are going to constantly be there. Like, unfortunately, they will. There are some organizations who do better to push it back against those external systems. But through a lot of pain, through a lot of heartache, through a lot of being underneath the table in my desk, in my office, closing the door and crying, mm. I realized I wanted to make a change and I wanted to be the change I wanted to see. And what I noticed is that people, professionals and undergraduate students don't have a me. They don't have someone that they can turn to and say, hey, a mentor just told me this, or my boss just told me this, or my ac academic advisor told me I shouldn't go down this pathway. And I just wanted to hold space for our students because I know what they're experiencing. I know what my physics and astronomy students are going to face in some ways. It's not 100%, not because you're black that everyone's gonna experience the same thing, but I guarantee there's some certain things you're gonna face. And I wanted to be a tool. I wanted to be a resource. I think I've never said it that way. I don't mean a tool in a bad way, but I <laughs> wanted to be a mentor, provide resources and tools to students to help support them, not just to survive, but to thrive within STEM fields. So that is what Auntie Just Mentoring is all about. And so if there are students who are going into this uh, in the very beginning and they need advice and their pathways, I'm here to support you. If you're in it and you just need a coach, someone to um, help guide you, help not just inspire you, but support you. Like I have a mentee, I just was talking about Auntie Jess mentoring show. She was one of my first guests and she talks often about how she loves that me as her mentor, like, yes, I can talk to you about the science, but I want to know, did you eat today? Mm -hmm. Have you drinking some water? Are you taking care of yourself? Because we don't get enough of that. Like, again, so my way to push back against the internal is to help support the internal, helping support people become confident in their, in their skills, become confident in who they're called to be. Because again, the system, this field continues to tell you you're not great. And I want to be that internal that internal voice that tells you you are talented, you are needed. There's so much science, if you think about it, that is missing because we're not there. Yes. We're not even represented in the numbers, but we're needed. I got one example I love to give that just seems it's so simple. We all maybe can relate to this is that there is a study. I need to actually uh, uh, give citation to articles, but I've, I've heard it and I, ha I have it, but I have to look it up. But there was this study where there was a scientist they were doing um um what is it called um they were testing the the dummies with cars they were like crashing the cars to test mm -hmm. 
The crash test dummies? Airbag. The crash, yeah, crash. And they were always doing it with the seatbelt related to a male body type, a white male body type at that, so a certain height, a certain weight. And there was a female scientist who said, you're not accounting for a female, one, stature, and you're also not accounting for a female who's pregnant. Mm. And so they changed the way, and I don't know the specific of the details, but just that one perspective, that diverse perspective of being a female, diverse perspective of being a female that is pregnant, changed the way that, that your seatbelt grows across your belly. And I have two kids that I call my minions. And I remember when I was pregnant with them, just how uncomfortable that seatbelt was, but also grateful for the way that it laid kind of across my belly and a because of them, right? So there's, there's small things, but have major impacts and why diversity is so important. And so that is my Auntie Jess mentoring. I like that story. So I have a similar story uh, as far as diversity in science. So there was an article that ran in my local paper um, about an orthodontist who it's created um, braces that were specifically for people of color. And he says, so look, when, when he went to school, that the model that's being used to determine, you know, braces, that the model that's being used is European. And so that their teeth are smaller. African-Americans have wider teeth. Asian and Hispanics have longer teeth. And so what he noticed is that over the years, that people, their teeth were being overcorrected. If, you, if you're a person of color, their teeth were being overcorrected. And therefore, in their older years, it was causing their face to sag um, mm. because the just the mouth being fuller and the teeth being pushed too far back was ultimately impacting their appearance over over time. So yeah. again, it's that 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 diverse perspective in terms of having someone who is in this science and recognizing like, wait a minute, the the model that we're using, the skull we're using, the mouth that we're using is of a European male. So yeah, same thing. Well, similar thing. No, it's important. I think this is why I say all the time that we're needed, right? So I, auntie, with my Auntie Jess mentoring, I, I, I gave you the links. It's um, love Auntie Jess if you're trying to find me across all social media. But I say I do like a, a midday afternoon check-in and it seems small, but I didn't get to do it last week. And I had friends messaging me like, we miss you doing this. But I just say simply like taking care of ourselves, I'm learning is that pushback we give to the system, mm. but our, our genius is needed and your genius cannot be at its full potential when you're experiencing racism. I tell this all the time to people, especially people that don't look like me, that experiencing microaggressions feels like dying by a thousand cuts. It hurts. Mm. And, it, and it's a lot of emotional labor to push back that push back against that when you don't have tools, when you don't have the skills to push back against that, you're, you're left out. And then the system just beats on you. And that's exactly what happened to me. And unfortunately, my story, though there's uniqueness in my story, there's a lot of what I'm saying that happens to a lot of us in this field. But our genius is need. need. I think about all the times that I had to go and show up into a job and, and the emotional labor I was going into. I was thinking about what I was wearing. I was thinking about what I was saying. I was spending too much time sending an email because I'm thinking about how someone's gonna judge my grammar or how I'm saying something. And sometimes, this is my own little side tangent, if you wanna cut this out, it's fine. But like, I used to get picked on in my work emails for just let, it's a literally a preference of how I'm saying something. 
Mm. Like it's not really it doesn't change the facts of what I'm saying. It's semantics and, and a preference of how you're wanting to say it. And so one example is I like to be like short, brief, to the point in emails. I don't like long emails. I think people don't read long emails. They are just a drag. So I'm gonna give you, hey, how are you doing? Maybe some pleasantry, ask you for the thing I need to ask you, maybe give you when I need it, and then like have a great day because no one's gonna read these long emails. But I've had some places that are okay with that. I've had some places that you have to explain it and add, I don't want to. But the the contrast to this is I always say, at my one of my jobs, the director of the institution we were working for, he was brief, short to the point. You emailed him, it may be a couple of sentences or, or not even a couple of sentences, a couple of words, or there's times when he just said yes or no to what I was saying to him. But it's okay, right? Because he's a white male, he has way more power, he has way more privilege than me, and he's the director of the organization. So no one's going to come back to him and say that you can't have short emails. But because of me, a black female, like that's unacceptable, you can't do that. And so Anyways, I say also say like I've learned with Auntie Jess and why I do what I do, and not just with Auntie Jess. All of the work that I do related to my business is fighting against this external system that keeps pushing upon us, and being a part of organizations that truly want to make change. And so, if there are organizations who are working with students, you may not know like that is a that is an okay thing to say. Like I actually don't know what to do. Bring in the experts who can tell you like me what to do and how truly we can support students. We don't want to just increase the number of black and brown students in STEM, but we're not ensuring that we're supporting them holistically and that, mm. it ex that internal pushback is that holistic approach. Are we making sure that they have representation, that they see people like them, right? We know this, there's, I forget who said it, but you, you can't be what you don't see, right? So even though my mentor was Chinese, actually, I didn't mention this, his ethnicity, but he was Chinese, but he still believed in me and I still saw myself in him in some ways because he was pouring into me. There was, he had like unwavering like faith within me. And then throughout, unfortunately, there wasn't a, there's not a lot of black physicists that are out there, but I saw a few and mm -hmm. they, they were enough representation for me. Like, yes, I can do this. And so that representation really matters. And I keep saying this, but I, I feel it really strongly that like our genius is needed, right? Our genius is needed without the system telling us that we're not good enough. Just imagine what we can create, what we can accomplish when you're not have, when you don't have to worry about a microaggression yeah. going into the workplace, or you don't have to have to dim your light to show up in a place because people are telling you you're too loud and you're too whatever. Like just even I, you were talking about the story of the, um, the hygienist with the, with the uh, braces, like there's so many other scientists and other people that I follow on social media because I, I like not just astronomy, but others, but there's so much more that's coming out like that, right? Just even when it comes to the, something as simple as your your body mass index, right? Like that's different for black people than it is for white people, right? And so the right. way you treat them is different. So anyways, those perspectives are different, but it's not gonna change and this is maybe my one last thing uh, related to this, like the system won't change unless you're in it making it change. And so sometimes it means that I've experienced a lot of challenges, a lot of external pressure, a lot of people telling me what I couldn't do. But if I don't show up, the system's never going to change. I've been a part of some of the first diversity groups at almost all of the organizations I've been a part of bringing this perspective 
bringing that diversity matters, bringing statistics, bringing data, that this stuff really matters and giving, being a part of the policies that were part of it. But again, if I weren't there, right, it's trade-offs. Like there's a lot of stuff that I had to deal with showing up in that space, but it was worth it because I want to believe with my business, with Auntie Jess, that I'm making change in the lives of those that are around me. I want to make everyone that I encounter to feel seen, to be to feel valued, to feel that they are needed. Like that is my mission. And I know I've done that and I'm going to keep doing that. And that's the legacy that I want to leave here on this earth. That's awesome. That's awesome. Thank you for the work you're doing. <laughs> you know, um, when you talked about the, um, the body mass index, like totally not, totally not the point, but <laughs> when you talked about even the body mass index, you know, I think about the office temperature. It's like, who oh. said that this is the best temperature? It's freezing in here. Who's, whose body is this calibrated for? <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of things like that are, especially in our in our health system, uh, not, I'm not in the health system, but I think about that often, um, even about being, you know, overweight. Again, that index, right? Like black people, body types are more, just the weight, right? The, the weight on the scale, I'm gonna deem overweight than, a different body type of a, of a female. And I remember this distinctly being a young girl, of course, coming into age, you know, 12, 13 years old, where I had a little bit more curves and a little bit more hips and like, but I was still really skinny. Um, and I don't remember what my like body mass index or if they even deemed that I was overweight, but I just, I'll never forget that experience, just physically looking different, obviously, than my, my white, counterparts, my, my, the other white students within my class, I just look different. I'm built different. Mm -hmm. um, but it didn't mean I was overweight or I didn't look good. It's just, I was built different, but there, again, our, our, our fields have a certain norm, right? I know I'm preaching to the choir, but they have a certain norm. It's what we see. It's what we see in the news is what we see in movie and TV shows. Right. So that's why that other perspective is really important. Yeah. Yeah. So as we're closing up here, I do have a final question for you, and that is, um, what brings you hope in this space? Yeah, I love that. Thank you for answering that question, because I, I want to leave with hope. I know I said a lot of maybe things that may seem discouraging. My hope is that there is change. I'm one person, but there are a lot of people who are genuine, who are great allies, who are really wanting change within our STEM fields. There are amazing programs and nonprofits who are supporting students to be successful in our field. And so all hope is not lost. It is possible to be in this field. It is possible to thrive within this field. Again, it's just so important to find your people, find your village. And so that's my hope is, uh, again, I, I went through a lot to come to a breaking point where I wanted to divert my energy and diverting my en energy turned into creating my own business that said, I want for the rest of my life to be a part of this system that's growing, that's supporting us, the people that look like me, it's supporting the systems, right? So I work with organizations, nonprofits and different places that are wanting to do this work. And so that is my hope. There are people who get it and actually willing to put money where their mouth is to make the change. And so just know if you're wanting to be in STEM, there is 
there are this really bad English, but there there are people, there is a village out here that wants to support you and just keep leaning into that and finding the village. Um, if you need help finding the village, reach out to me. I'll help, help, help you point you into the right direction, but there's hope. There's so much great that we can do. And the one I, I, that was kind of generic, the one specific thing that I want to say that gives me hope is I was just a part of a process last week where I was giving advice to a NASA panel and it was related to diversity, equity, and inclusion. Mm. And it was one of the first that I've ever been a part of. And just knowing that me and my other panelists were making a difference, it may be small, but it's making a difference. And just my students, like when they come back to me and say like, Auntie Jess, like, thank you so much. Just your words of encouragement, just knowing that you had my back. Like I just had a student reach out to me who told me some really great news they can't publish, they can't put out publicly, but they were like, I want, Auntie Jess, I wanted you to be one of the first people to know. Like knowing that just me being who I am makes mm -hmm. a difference is my hope. And I know that I'm making impact on the people around me and that gives me hope every single day. That's awesome. Thank you so much for the work that you do. How can students find you? Tell us where, where they can reach you online or social media. Yeah, so uh, you can reach me on my website, jessicaaharris.com, and it links to all my social media. If you're trying to find me with Auntie Jess, it's on Instagram, it's love Auntie Jess. On Twitter, it's love Auntie Jess. On Facebook, it's Auntie Jess love. And so but you can find all of those links on my website at jessicaaharris.com. All right. Well, Jessica, thank you so much for sharing your story, coming on the Academic Survival Podcast. I know that there are some STEM students or students who didn't know that they wanted to go down this path that will hear your story and be encouraged and be inspired because there's a way forward and there is a support system, at least in you, and that there's others out there they can find. So thank you so much for coming to the show. Thank you. That's it for today on Academic Survival. If you want to share your story on how you survived your freshman year of college, you can reach me at info at chandralmcdonald.com. We'll be back next week with more ways to survive your academic journey. Until then, happy studying. <laughs>